Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. If you would go ahead and join me, Luke chapter 1. And I want to say, as far as next week goes, we will not be dismissing our children. And, uh, and I know that as a young family or young parent, you may say to yourself, I really don't want to have to wrangle. Uh, we do get that a lot at things. I don't want to wrangle the kids. I'd rather just stay at home if all I'm going to have to do is fight with my kids. And uh, we would love to watch you fight with your kids. It's part of the Christmas joy that we have. Um, uh, but uh, but that, no, all joking aside, I, I hope that, that you won't let anything keep you away other than travel. Uh, you won't let anything keep you away from next next Sunday morning. And and the service, of course, will be designed so that it moves pretty fast. We're not here just to keep keep you in the room, but uh, to move uh, pretty fast. And there'll uh, be lots of different elements in, in the day. So uh, hopefully your children, your whole family, and, you know, you let them run around your Christmas tree on Sunday morning. Surely we can let them, let them you know, we're just a family. That's all we are together. So Luke chapter 1. Uh, I do want to call back on a couple of things that Blake said. He said, really glad that you chose to spend your day with us. And, uh, you know, as a pastor hearing that, I'm like, I thought I was just going to get, you know, maybe a, maybe something. Well, I'm going to tell you how long I think I get, but uh, however long you think I get. Uh, so thank you, Blake, for giving me the rest of the day. That's great. Actually, Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to start today. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> I am a skeptic by nature, and uh, some of you have heard me talk a little bit about this. E- even last night, we, we went to eat at a, at a uh, uh, Hispanic uh, Mexican restaurant, uh, which we, we all love, and, uh, you know, they bring out that plate. Mine, mine was rather large, uh, and, uh, but they brought the plate out, and you know what they say just before, you know, you reach to take the plate, what do they say? It's hot. Well, I don't, I don't know if my definition of hot is the same as your definition of hot, but I know this, I'm a man. And so I always reach out to take the hot plate. Anyway, I've got a lot of nerve damage in my left hand. That gives me some margin of error. Uh, but I reached out to take that hot plate because uh, I don't know if you're saying that just because you think it's hot, but I don't know, I just don't fall for it very often. I'm also the one that... I want to see how old is the wet paint sign. You know, sometimes they don't take those down. You see a sign that says wet paint, what do you do? Well, still wet, sorry about that. Uh, somebody got to touch that up there. Uh, when I take a spiritual gift test, I usually rank much lower than you want me to on the spiritual gift of faith. Uh, I, I don't rank very high on spiritual gift tests with gifts of faith. And it would be easy for someone to question a pastor that does not have the spiritual gift of faith, right? Uh, and that, I really struggled with that for a really long time. And, and I come from a, a science background, you know, in, in my head. And so I've just always wanted to process through uh, methods and structures and processes and, and steps. But actually, I think not having a gift of faith is a blessing uh, to me. I've turned it into a blessing for me. And, and of course, sometimes it really gets, gets in my way. But uh, it is... I, I don't, 
And it's, a, it's, it's also a curse. But I think of things in ways that a lot of people don't think of things. Like I come up with a lot of questions that a lot of people may not even think about. Does it, and, it's, and so I have, to, I have to be more certain than most people. Some people can just read something and say, well, that's what it says. That's what it is. Some of you do that when you open up Facebook and you read it and you just assume that whatever you read is true. And I'm reading articles and I'm going back to old encyclopedias and I'm trying to scour because if somebody says it, my first thought is not to believe it. Maybe it's because I've become cynical. Maybe it's because I've been lied to so many times uh, in my life. Uh, I'm not sure, but I know this, because of the questions that I ask when it comes to my faith, I, I read a lot of information, and I read from people that I know I disagree with, because at least I want to be able to know where they're coming from. You know, I, don't, I know I'm not going to agree, but I want to know what are your arguments to get there. And so I get a, a pretty good, what I think is a, a good baseline on truth. I work through the questions that I actually believe that God has taught me as I prepare to deliver his truth. Uh, and I hope to deliver it with confidence. And uh, his truth then becomes a solid conviction, at least in my life. And so my mind and my questioning, my skeptical mind uh, used to cause me fear because I used to think if faith didn't come easy, maybe God was done with me. Maybe he was just leaving me alone. I grew up that way. Even as a young adult, I struggled with it. And to be quite honest with you, sometimes I struggle with it still. I am a, I am a product in the making, having to live by my faith, just like everybody else is having to live by their faith. And, um, so God took me a number of years ago, and we'll get into all of that, but he took me on a journey. It was a very, very dark journey, a journey I never want to go on again, but, uh, but it was very, very much a blessing on the other side of it. And he was there with me all along, and he showed me that for some people, here's the reason I tell you all of this, okay? For some people, doubt is the place where faith blooms, Okay? And I think a lot of times we kind of shy away from that as Christians because it's, I write these things that you may know and certainty and boldness and confidence and over and over you have these really great statements of confession and faith and I love that. But most people who had those confessions of great faith struggled at some point or another with some doubts and some confusions and some struggles. And so I think about those those struggles and those, those doubts being a place where God then strips us down to all we have left are questions. And it's those questions as he builds us back up and helps us to clarify those questions, that's where faith really is able to take, to take root in our life. So I read the scriptures with that lens, and I begin to see how often men, that godly men that God uses in, in deeper ways actually struggled with doubt. I think of Gideon who uh, doubted and his confession was, hey, I'm just from a I'm just from a a, a nobody, you know, nation, a tribe. I'm I'm a, I'm a nobody, Lord. And if you want to use me, then you make this fleece get wet and all the ground around it stay dry. And you know what God did? He met him right where his doubt was. And you know what Gideon did? Well, that's not good enough. I want the fleece to be dry and the ground around it to be wet. And you know what the Lord did? Met him right where his doubt was. And in that place, faith bloomed, right? 
I think of Moses standing in front of a burning bush hearing voices. And you know what he said? No, not me. You got the wrong guy. But in those doubts, those are the places where faith takes root. Jeremiah, the Lord said, I'm going to use you. What did Jeremiah say? No, 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 I'm just a kid. <laughs> I'm just a kid. What did the Lord say? Don't you say I'm just a kid. The Lord continually meets people where they are in their walk when they're honest about where they are. My fear is that we have faked our Christianity for so long, we don't even really know where we are. We pretend so much at our spiritual growth. And we wear masks around so many people, I'm pretty sure we don't even know where we are in our faith development. So over the past couple of weeks, we've seen that hope is one of the greatest gifts that we have in Jesus. In fact, he is our, our hope. And when he is here, he is hope for the weary. All you need is to be yoked to him, learning from him, doing what he calls us to do the way he calls us to do it. He is hope for the broken. You, just to, you have to allow yourself to be pulled through your struggle, whatever it may be, just knowing that he is on the other end and you're following him wherever he leads. Then there's hope for the down and out, those who feel like they're underdogs, that maybe nothing ever goes right for them, everything is stacked up against them. But you need to make sure that when you fight, you're only fighting for his glory. And there is hope at the end of those, those oppositions to faith growing. Today, we're going to talk about hope for those who live in doubt, who struggle with doubt. I met a lot of people who allow skepticism to rob them of hope. Jesus is truth, right? Jesus is truth. We believe this. He, he claims this and proves this. And so if Jesus is truth, then all truth leads to Jesus. Amen? We can agree on that, right? So, so all truth leads to him. And so if we're honest with our doubt, our questions that we ask ourselves will always lead, if we keep asking the right questions, we'll always end up right in his presence, right? So our journey in doubt, our journey as we struggle, as we navigate scratching our head, actually is the thing that God uses to build our faith. But it takes work and it takes discipline because you're never more tempted to walk away than when you wonder, does God care? Can God love? Is God there for me? Does God really have a plan? Those are questions, and if we're honest, those are questions that we ask. I was sharing this morning with our, our welcome team, our first impressions team. Uh, you know, one of the things I think that we really struggle with the most, maybe not just as a church, but certainly as a church, is making the assumption that because people are here, they have found something. But I think the truth of the matter is, is because you are here, it's just as likely that you're looking for something. That, that there is, you know, behind the Jesus 
mask, behind the, the smile, behind the I'm put together, behind the clean clothes, behind the, you know, I got my stuff together. There's this level of brokenness where we're wondering something about our faith. Am I doing it right? Does God really love me? Is God pleased with me or is he angry with me? I don't know where I am. I'm broken in so many places. And we just learn to cover over it and we learn just to keep walking and pretending. So our current culture has made it more easy than ever to in the midst of that brokenness, in the midst of that doubt and struggle, just to walk away when we disagree or we disapprove and it's become so easy just to just to tap out and walk if if i can't if i can be so bold as to use maybe marriage as an illustration of that when we doubt the relationship we might be tempted to say and as a pastor i've heard this so many times i don't think i've ever loved you i mean i've not heard it from i don't anyway i don't think i've ever loved you we actually can get ourselves talked into this, right? Nobody starts, like, when you say, I do, you don't say, I don't think I've ever loved you. No, we get to that place because we tell ourselves lie after lie after lie, and we're following our feelings. What it is is we've actually given up hope that that relationship will get any better, that we'll be loved anymore, that things will change. We convince ourselves that, you know what, I give up. And in order to protect our heart, we say things like, I don't think I've ever loved you. Or, I can't love you the way you deserve to be loved. Well, that's garbage. It's garbage. It's the, it's the statement of someone who gave up hope a while back. And so I would say to anybody who is in that situation, this is not a marriage message, but anybody in that situation, that that's not giving up on your spouse. That's giving up on God's ability to give you a clean heart to take those, those struggles and, to, and to, make, to make love blossom and bloom again. You know, God, God can change things. We just sing he's a miracle worker, but so many of us don't believe it because we've really given up hope. We love the song, but we give up hope, and we are, it's easy to tell ourselves we can just walk away. Some of you have navigated some real difficult Things as a consequence of what someone else has walked through. Hope that someone else has given up on. But when we doubt something, we take it as proof that we don't believe it anymore. And we tell ourselves, I will never, true, maybe even on our faith, I've never truly believed, or I've always wondered. I've never, I hear a lot of young people say, you know, I went to church, but you know, I never really believed. Just going through the motions for a long time. And instead of work, instead of believing that God can give us a new heart, instead of believing that faith can burst forth from doubt, we just tap out and we walk away. But doubt doesn't have to destroy us. Doubt actually can be a, a gift that God uses. It can build us if we keep going. Jesus can give us a new heart in marriage if we choose him. Equally, he can give us a new heart for him if we keep going in our faith and we seek him. But we live in an age when the desire to believe God or even believe in God and to trust in him is on a downward slope. We're seeing those numbers just shrink year to year to year. 
People are beginning to live with doubts, and those doubts are taking over their life. And we're seeing a lot of people who used to be faithful walk away. The largest demographic among young people now are the the nuns, those who claim no religious affiliation at all. There used to be social pressure to stay in the faith, and encouragement from the church was positive. But now the church is in the minority in our culture, and it's easier just to walk away. This is one of the reasons why staying tethered to church attendance, having that as a spiritual discipline, being in the room is so important. Relationships, so important. Honesty, prayer, accountability is so important. These make it a lot harder. They make it easier to deal with doubt and a lot harder to walk away from. And it makes it a lot easier to work on. Grandparents had it. Parents had had opportunity for it. Children aren't getting it. Remember, a, a, a lack of hope stems from a lack of faith. It is a lack of faith that produces doubt. Doubt that works through it will ultimately produce faith in a person's life. Doubt that will not work through it produces fear in a person's life. Fear is the product of doubt that was not dealt with correctly. Doubt that wasn't driven back to truth. Fear is the product or the byproduct of asking the wrong question. So whenever you lack hope, here's good news. Christian, it's not gone. You know exactly where it is. Your hope is buried in the bedrock of your faith. What you have to do is you have to go back and you have to chisel out your faith and remember what God has done and what God is doing. And it will give birth to hope. When your faith is tainted with misunderstanding or misapplying the will, purpose, and the timing of God, when, you're, when the faith that you are living in isn't rooted and grounded in truth, it's going to be really hard to see God's consistency and God's faithfulness in your life. And if your hope is tainted, your faith will be tainted as well. Your, your hope will be tainted. So one of the most frequent, and I've, I've done this many times, and, and it actually is strange, it's strangely warming to see people in Scripture struggle. Uh, I hope that you understand what I, what I mean by that. But one of the most frequent truths recorded in Scripture is that Jesus is not angry at doubters. He actually uses them. But he also expects us to be faithful through the doubt. And this is not a fake it till you make it kind of work through it. It's a trusting what God has said even when you can't see him in the room working through it. Jesus is not afraid of my doubt or your doubt and he does not stay away until we get it worked out. He doesn't stay away from us because of our doubt. He meets us right where we are in it. In fact, he speaks to our doubt and here's what he tells us when there is doubt in the room. Do not fear. 
not fear because your doubt can actually become a bedrock. I have found in my life doubt can occur in three areas. Doubting God's existence, which speaks to our purpose, losing our purpose. We can doubt God's love, the doubt that He cares, which speaks to our relationships. Or we can doubt God's promises, which speaks to our hope. So when life gets difficult, it's, it's easy to doubt that things are going to get better. Even perhaps there's no evidence that things are ever going to be better. That better is not even on the horizon. Doubt creeps in. Is God aware? Does, what is He up to? Does He even care about me at all? That's the worst question possible. The questions that are birthed from doubt that lead to fear, boy, they spiral very quickly. Panic begins to set in. And we are not our best processors when we panic. But just as much as doubt begins to cause our faith to spiral out of control, doubt is also very easily defeated. Doubt is really, really easy to defeat. All doubt needs is hope. Just a glimpse of hope. Just a spot of hope. We lose hope for a second. It takes no time to get to a dark place. But with just a glimpse of hope, all doubt is cast away. I'm trying to give you some tools because I know that this is a common enemy that we all battle. And when you wonder if God loves you, if God even is, if God cares about the circumstance you're in, all you have to do is to have hope, hope from faith of what God has done. Can you think of any doubters that just immediately come to mind from the Bible? Of course, number one suspect is doubting Thomas. I mean, it's even in his name, right? Takes a while, takes a while to get to old Thomas. A lot of godly people who wrestled with one type of doubt or another. Didn't Adam and Eve started with doubting God's word? Has God not said, hmm, not sure. Abraham waited a long time before he started. I, don't, I think God wants me to do this a different way. Sarah? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 Lord, you got that all wrong. David, goodness. Elijah, I'm the only one out here. John the Baptist, are you really the one? On and on and on. We could do this all day. The Christmas story has some doubters. So let's look at Luke chapter 1. Zechariah, verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, what did the angel say? Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and shall call his name John. Look down to verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent, I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent 
and unable to speak until the day that, we, that these things take place because you did not believe in my words which we fulfilled in time. Hmm. Troubled when he saw him. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. How shall I know this? Look down at verse 26. Look at Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent, to God, sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came near to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Gabriel came to Zechariah, verse 12. He was troubled. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Verse 29, Mary's greatly troubled. Don't be afraid, Mary. In his doubt, Zechariah res responds with, How shall I know this? Prove it. Give me some sort of sign. You can go back into the original language and you can see that this speaks more than just a, a question. It is Zechariah saying to God, this thing is impossible. It cannot be. I will not believe it. Everything is stacked against this thing happening. And the angel said, that's your sign. I paraphrase. I wanted to say shut your mouth, but I didn't, I didn't feel. In her doubt, Mary responds, how will this be? It sounds similar, but it's not. It's not the same response at all. The heart is completely different. Zechariah speaks for God's confirmation. He's questioning God's ability, and he limits God because of his age. Mary speaks toward her ability, not God's. She knows that what God says, God will do. She's not sure how, but she's afraid that she can't keep up because of her limitations. Zechariah is accusing God of being limited. Mary is afraid she is limited. There's a huge difference there. Both have doubts. One gives birth to hardness, the other gives birth to humility. The difference is who you're depending on in the moment of doubt. Zechariah didn't think God could do it, needed proof. Mary didn't think she could do it, but was open to whatever God wanted for her. In both cases, God did it. Both worked it out, and the initial doubt helped build their faith more deeply. Jesus' ministry was filled with people who believed and yet doubted. 
Mark chapter 9 talks about a, a father who, who cared for his son. You remember this? Uh, the, the son had a demon from time to time who would take possession of his body and would cause him to seize and to become rigid and, and to be immovable and sometimes would throw him into the fire and sometimes throw him in the water trying to kill him. He was foaming at the mouth and grinding his teeth and, and he, was, he was miserable and the father wanted to take care of him and so he called for Jesus' followers and said, hey, we got to do something here. And they tried, they couldn't get it done and he finally called to Jesus. And Jesus, you remember what Jesus said to him in verse 23? If you can... If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. At, at first glance, when you first read this, it looks like the man is saying that he believes, but I just can't believe all the way. I mean, I'm believing some. I mean, I've got mustard seed kind of faith, and certainly the man is expressing doubt. But doubt in what? His first statement is my faith. I mean, this is the way it's in the original language. My faith is placed in you, Jesus. I know you can. I believe in you. I trust in you, but I also know myself. I am unworthy to receive it. That I know. That I know. I believe I'm just unworthy. And so I don't know if you will. I know you can. I don't know that you should. You are able, but I am unworthy. Boy, I think that's a lot of Christians walking around today. Lord, I know you can. I just don't know if I'm worthy. Like Mary, his doubt didn't stem from God's inability, but it stemmed from his own. But God doesn't need Mary's ability. He doesn't need his father's ability. God uses their faith in his ability. And it's not deserved. They're not worthy. God doesn't only answer when we deserve it. God isn't only at work in our life when we deserve it. That is grace. Grace to have faith with Him. He increasing, me decreasing. Grace doesn't leave us so that we can continue in sin. Grace, God doesn't give us grace so that we can continue to live in sin and claim his name and still do whatever we want to do. Grace of God gives us the opportunity to take our doubts and place it at the foot of the cross. Grace gives us the opportunity to repent, not the opportunity to continue in sin. We have this twisted ability to limit God based on our limitations. Zechariah couldn't see it, therefore God couldn't do it. Moses couldn't see it, therefore God couldn't do it. Gideon couldn't see it, therefore God couldn't do it. But God doesn't need us to see it before we choose to simply trust Him. Moses couldn't see it because all he could see was Moses. Gideon couldn't see it because all he could see was Gideon. Zechariah couldn't see it because all he could see was Zechariah. You may not be able to see it because all you can see is you. And you're not worthy. And you're not good enough. That's why grace is so important in our lives so that God can use people like us filled with doubt, 
filled with confusion, filled with struggles, and yet capable of revealing his glory the way he chooses to be revealed. We can choose to trust him before we can see it. There's a big difference between I cannot believe and I will not believe. Just like Zachariah and Mary, there's a difference between unbelief and disbelief. You know, you hear people say, I just can't believe it. When somebody passes away suddenly, I just can't believe it. Well, of course you can believe it. That's that's what we say, right? That doesn't mean it's not true. It's just difficult for us to get our minds wrapped around it. And then there's the, I do not believe it. I will not believe it. That refusal to believe, that's the matter of the heart. That brings us to the upper room in John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's a pretty strong statement of doubt. Refusal. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Do not be afraid, Mary. Peace be unto you, guys. Can you imagine (laughs) the shock that these guys are experiencing in a locked upper room and Jesus just appears and says, Peace be unto you. Then he said to Thomas, I don't know which hand, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Even though others had claimed to see Jesus resurrected, Thomas didn't want to get his hopes up. Thomas loved Jesus. That was clear in their relationship. But he didn't want to get his hopes up because you get your hopes up, you're going to be disappointed again. You remember how this, I mean, this, uh, Jesus is talking about resurrection, but when they're arresting him, they're all running into the woods, doubting everything. Don't want to get my hopes up. I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to shut all that down. I will never believe until I see it with my own eyes. Not only am I doubting Jesus right now, I'm doubting your testimony too. I don't care what you saw. I know what I saw. I know what I saw. I saw him hanging there. I saw the spear in his side. And I know what you're saying you saw, but I know what I saw. The thought of getting his hopes up about a resurrection may have just been too hard for him to wrap his mind around. He was more like looking to protect himself from further pain. We do that a lot. You hear, you hear people give uh, good news or bad news. Good news. Somebody says, hey, I won the lottery. What are you going to say? Are you kidding me? 
I don't want to get my, hey, I just got that new promotion. Are you kidding me? Hey, you got a million dollar Christmas bonus. Are you kidding me? We're trying to protect ourselves from getting our hopes up too quick, right? Even when we know something is true, we're still tempering. I don't want to get my hopes up too quick because it's hard to get crushed. This world crushes us enough, right? Our first thought is doubt. Our first thought is almost always doubt. You imagine Peter comes and says, Thomas, I saw him. Are you kidding me, Peter? I don't believe it. I'll never believe it until I see it with my own eyes. But as I read this, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure that I'll care enough in eternity to ask the question, but I care enough right now to ask the question. In this context, I, I don't know if Thomas, he said, I will not believe if I don't put my fingers in the mark of his hands, in the nail pierced, and I won't believe until I put my hand in his side when Jesus says, hey, here I am. Well, here I am. Thomas immediately falls to his knees, my Lord and my God. I don't know that Thomas needed to... He said, I will never believe unless I do this. I don't, I don't see that he had to do it. But Jesus made himself available. He met Thomas exactly where Thomas was. And we're often like Thomas. Most of us are like Thomas. The doubt that we express comes from not wanting to get our hope up. We, we really don't pray big prayers. We don't pray believing because we're afraid that we're going to be disappointed. We don't step out on faith when God says go, we don't go because I don't really have that gift or I don't really, I don't think God, I don't, I'm not a good communicator or I just don't feel like I'm uh, making all these excuses up, right? God said go and yet we're, uh, maybe God won't, maybe God can't, maybe. I think if, uh, let's talk about this last week with, I think it was Gary and Sarah Monk. Acts chapter 12, when you know Peter's in prison and the angel comes and unlocks, Peter's getting up, kicks, wakes him up. Peter gets up and the gates open up. All the while, the church in, in uh, Acts 12, the church is in the upper room praying for Peter's release. I mean, they called a prayer vigil, praying for Peter's release from prison. And, and Peter knocks on the door. And Rhoda is there, and she hears Peter's voice. She doesn't open the door because she's so excited. Peter is here. And she goes into the room where everybody's praying, and she's like, hey, stop praying. Peter is at the door. And they're like, what? No, Peter's not at the door. Peter's in prison. No, I heard his voice. Oh, it's his ghost. Poor Peter is dead. I don't want to get my hopes up. <laughs> a week after Thomas tells the others that he refuses to believe their reports, there they are, locked room. Jesus shows up, meeting the, the doubter exactly where he needed to be met. And he does not come into this room full of doubt and speaking to them with rebuke. He doesn't come in rolling his eyes. He doesn't come in saying, I told you so. He doesn't come in saying, where were you? He comes in and offers them peace and hope. The 
There's a lot of people in the church today that are, and, and, and many more that are outside of, of her who are struggling with their faith and they feel like they can't keep up with us. You are the people who have it all together. I don't belong with you. One of these days, maybe I'll have my stuff put together enough where I can fit in and fake it like you all fake it. But right now I'm too lost. I'm too, just too much struggle, too much brokenness in my life. I just don't belong. And we perpetuate that. We come to church and talk about our week, our weekend, talk about big games. We don't talk about our struggles. We don't talk about our doubts. We don't talk about our weariness. We don't talk about our brokenness. We don't talk about being down and out. And yet, that's who Jesus came for. That's who he offers hope to. People come in in here and they're, I'm telling you, people come in here broken and they come in here hurting. There are people in this room right now that are going through things that you wouldn't believe. They may not want you to know it, but how you greet them at doors and how how near you sit beside them helps that doubt to melt away. But when we're huddled up in our little safety groups, there's nowhere for that to melt. So we just sit in it until we get numb to it. In best case scenario, we just start going through the motions like everybody else. So instead of assuming that people have their stuff together, why wouldn't we just start assuming that people don't? I think it would change the way we talk to each other. It would change how far we're willing to walk in a small room to greet someone with a smile and say hello. It's not my gift. That's not my calling. I don't come to church for that. Well, you and I need to have a private conversation then. And I mean that. Because that's who God's people are. People who grow together, not people who finally get all their stuff together. That's who Jesus gives hope to. A new love to. A new heart to. One that is transformed every day. Because that's how often we need it. As often as His mercies are new. So how would Jesus minister to those who doubt? I don't think he would scold them. He wouldn't tell them that they have to know a certain amount of stuff before they can fit in. Because Jesus knows that honest doubt will find honest answers. This is, we should be honest about our struggles. Be able to lean into Jesus for right questions and know that this is a safe place to say, I'm struggling with this. Now, obviously, you're not going to walk up to a complete stranger, but everybody in church should have somebody that they can trust. He said, well, nobody talks to me. Well, maybe you're the one that should be moving first. Make it easy to be honest with. Be a safe place. People can't grow beyond their doubt, but their doubt does not eliminate them from growth. I think it's funny that maybe other than Peter before the crucifixion, Thomas makes one of the greatest declarations. The greatest doubter is the one who made the greatest confession. My Lord 
and my God. Jesus is very thankful for Thomas's confession of faith in this passage, but you know who Jesus is thinking about? Us. He's thinking about us. He said, Thomas, good for you. You saw and you believe. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Thomas had the testimony of his best friends. Maybe they're best friends. But it wasn't enough. Thomas had to go all the way to the source to find hope. And that's no different today. Our testimony is really good. But our testimony won't bring you hope. It'll clarify your questions. But those questions will take you a step closer to Jesus. But you have to have a direct relationship to the source before you can live in his hope. You can't ride the coattails of your friends and live off their hope. You can't come to church regularly and live in hope. You have to have an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. God never asked us to pretend and try to manufacture certainty or simply walk around naively. He accepted them where they were, and that's where he used them. He asked them to be faithful, to step forward through their doubt and in their doubt. Finally, Matthew chapter 28, and we'll be done. I want to begin in verse 16. This is, this is significant, okay? I wouldn't include it if it weren't. It's a big moment. Jesus is about to send these men and others on a mission around the world. These are the last words used to describe the disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. They followed Jesus for three years. They learned from Him. They saw Him crucified. They saw Him resurrected. They have walked around with Him for 40 days. Here's what it says in Matthew 28. Verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. What in the world does Jesus have to do to prove to them? They worshiped him. Did you know that doubters are capable of worship? Of course you do. We do it every week. They worshiped him. But some of them doubted. What are they doubting? Jesus? I mean, I, I don't know. They saw him resurrected. They heard him. They watched him eat. They, he's passing through solid walls. About What could there possibly be to doubt? I don't know. When Moses is looking at the burning bush, what could you possibly doubt when... Over and over, you see these things in Scripture. Like if, if God ever spoke to me from the sky, I would certainly believe. Would, would we? Maybe they're doubting themselves. Maybe God is, Jesus is sending them and they're saying, I don't think we're ready. I just don't think we're ready yet. We haven't heard enough. There's still some things. So what was step three in that one? Just forget 
What about the third soil? There was something about a sand. I, What's Jesus say next? Jesus came to them and said to them, we, and we love these verses. We know these verses. What we don't know is who he's speaking to, the doubters. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus does not say, once you are convinced to the core then go. Once you are free from every doubt, then you can qualify to go. Once you've learned a little more, go. He looks at these worshiping, doubting guys and says, you, go. Go tell the world the good news about me. The very news that you're doubting right now in your own eyes I know it seems too good to be true. Get up and go, doubters, and I will go with you. And as you go to share me with others, you'll find that your own doubts will be healed. As you preach the good news to other doubters, your doubts will go away. And you're going to have new doubts. And I'll be with you in those two, standing right in front of you. Because the remedy for doubt, the remedy for struggle, is evangelism. It's sharing your doubt. Sharing your hope that has been birthed from your doubt. It's mobilization. It's sharing your faith. The remedy for doubt is going. Deployment. Making disciples. Disciples aren't people who never doubt. They doubt and worship. They doubt and serve. They doubt and go. They doubt and testify. They doubt and help each other with their doubts to be a community where everybody can be open about their faith and provide a, a safe place for others to be honest about theirs. And we're all growing together, not linearly, but collectively. And so this morning, I want to challenge you to, to dig in. And the doubts that keep you like this, this is a safe place to grow and to learn, to be honest and to be real to struggle and to be healed, to know and to be known. And how that works is going to look different for maybe different people. I don't think that there's a one, one way to do that. But there's only one place to be healed. And that's in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not a relationship with His things, not even a relationship with His words but a relationship with Him in His presence. I will be with you always. I am your hope. When they cut your head off, think of me. When they flip you upside down and nail you to a cross, think of me. In the other half a dozen ways that these guys were martyred, think of me. And in those moments, they're filled with hope.
because Jesus is there. Whatever your circumstance that you find yourself in, just know the only way through it is seeing Jesus on the other side of it and living for his glory. Will you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. The invitation this morning is, is complicated. Um, because what I want to do is I want to challenge you this morning to maybe, maybe for those that struggle with being honest about who they really are spiritually, to begin praying that God would bring people into your life that you would be able to trust. And once you've been violated of trust, it is hard to trust. And it takes a while to develop it. But first, it first begins with willingness. So today I'm asking you just to pray to be willing. That God would confirm that this is a safe place for you to grow in your faith. But I'm also going to ask you to try to work, to think, to process through what does it look like for me to be for it to be easier for me, to make it easy? What do I need to do to be more available with my time, to be more available with my person, to be able to give my life away instead of just hanging on? And maybe you're here today, and if you could just be brutally honest, you might, you might if, it, if it didn't come with so much backlash, you might already have walked away. Today I pray that you make a firm commitment that you're going to hang on until Jesus changes it. Changes your heart, changes the heart of someone else. Believing, hoping, praying, big prayers without fear of disappointment because God does not disappoint. He may not answer everything the way I've had a lot of prayers that I've prayed that God didn't answer the way I prayed them. But you know what? As I prayed them, he clarified my prayers. Don't be afraid to pray prayers that God can tweak. I think, and I don't mean this rudely, insensitive, I don't, I'm not even thinking this quickly. But with Thomas in the room, I think if Jesus, it, you know, what, what I hear Jesus saying is, hang on, Thomas, I'm not done yet. And I think that's what he would say to you today. Wherever you are, I know you're tired. I know you're broken. I know you're weary. I know you feel like everything's stacked against you. I know with that comes a lot of doubts and struggles. Hang on. I'm not done yet. Not only that, but I'm sending you to be an emissary of my gospel and of my hope. Maybe today you make a commitment. It's not, I've heard all my life, if God calls, would you go? He has called. He already has. There's not a person in here that has not been commissioned to be an ambassador of hope to the down and out. 
And so today I repent of my sarcasm. I repent of my pride as best I can. I embrace my struggles and my doubts. And I ask, Lord, it's all I've got left is my willingness. And he says, go and make disciples of all the nations. And I'm going with you. Lord, thank you for your promise this morning. Thank you for the hope that we have that you can use even someone like me. Someone like a Thomas. Somebody like a Peter. I thank you, Lord, that you've used millions of people before us. And I pray that you'll continue to use millions of people after us as we respond today to be a missionary of hope, to reveal Jesus to the weary, the broken, the down and out, and the doubters, that the testimony of what you have done and do through us would be the very thing that would draw people to you. And if making disciples only endear people to us, Lord, it's not enough. May we each direct people to have a direct relationship with the source of all hope. Thank you today, Lord, for loving us so much. And as we pray in these last moments, I pray that you would receive our prayers as a sweet-smelling aroma. Pray that you would be glorified by our yes today. Pray that we would see you high, lifted up. Here I am. Send me. One with unclean lips, living among a people with unclean lips. Lord, we are, we are nothing. May you increase and we decrease. We have nothing to offer you except our willingness to go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.